episode four with the amazing, ultra fantastic, sweet and wonderful Eva Gardner of Pink. Check out some of her music in the Players Pick Podcast playlist on Spotify. We're talking about guitar picks, mm-hmm. and um, because I feel like it's a, a thing that we don't hear a whole lot about, and um, you have, I think you have some interesting stuff to tell us. Like, where, where, when was the first memory of getting a guitar pick? Well, um, my dad, uh, being a bass player, he actually was a, was a bass player that played with a pick mostly. Mm-hmm. He was a pick player, so my early memories um, were of him, and he always had. Like two or three picks in his pocket. Like he never went anywhere without picks. Like it was picks and like coins, you know. <laughs> and um, he never knew when he was gonna sit in anywhere. You know, we'd be at like some bar on a in Mexico and on a family holiday or whatever, and he'd ask to sit in with a band. And sure enough, he'd get, you know, reach into his pocket, pull out a pick, and and get to get to town. But um, it was it was funny too because he would he would always show off his pick muscle. He said he had this this pick what? muscle, yeah. So he would like put his on his right. He was right handed, so on his right uh, thumb and and uh, um, pointer finger. Pointer finger. He would just kind of like push those together, and then like this big muscle would form like in crease of his hand. He could flex. Like, that. Yeah, he would flex his pick, pick muscle. Oh wow! Yeah, like he was really proud of this pick muscle. I've totally never heard that yeah. ever from anyone. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so that was a thing too. And I was always like, when I first started playing, I was like, oh, I got to work on my pick muscle, man. Like. Yeah, yeah I gotta work dad's out. got one. I gotta get one. Gotta work out the muscles. Yeah. So, um, so very early on, I mean, that those were my memories, and and um, and the picks I always knew of were the ones that he used, which were the were Dunlops. They mm-hmm. were the gray um, nylon eighty eights. Right. And um, so that's really how I started. When I started playing, I started playing with a pink because that was just I did what what dad did, and and um, and. Uh, I just kind of followed suit, and I, I, the picks that I first used were just like his discard picks, like the kind of ones that he didn't want anymore. And there was like a pile of picks, and my favorite one was this shocking pink pick with mm. like etched and it had an etched in black was the name of some music store in Van Nuys or something like that. It was oh, like cool. Charlie's Music with like an eight with eight number on it, right, right. And it, for whatever reason, it was like my favorite pick, and it was the one that like. I just always had to make sure I knew where it was, you know. Was this some sort of premonition being pink? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Being your primary <laughs> Maybe. Like, gig? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I just really remember that one. And, of course, like the confetti pick. That was always Defender, like... Defender, Defender celluloid. Confetti. Yeah, of course. Exactly. It's definitely one of mine, too. So those were like my early, early, early picks that I used. And, um, and uh, when I got into... Um, I decided that I wanted to, in high school, like, take music more seriously. And I went to a performing arts high school called Loxa, and I got in the jazz band there, and uh, I got in as, like, the little rocker chick, you know, like, mm-hmm. I didn't really know much about big band music or anything like that, and um, my first day in jazz band, I get called up to play, and I go up there, and the first thing he says to D, first thing he says to me is, uh, the, my jazz band instructor, he goes, Miss Eva, put down that pick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, man. oh, okay, shit, okay, here we are, getting thrown into the fire. So I remember I had the Fender Confetti pick that day, mm-hmm. and I remember putting it on top of the amp behind me, and there it goes, and I kind of sadly looked at it behind me, and and from that moment forward, I was, like, forced to play with my fingers. And mm. um, interestingly enough, I'm grateful for that moment, because at that very second, 
he inadvertently made me a, a more versatile player. Right. So mm. I'm grateful for that now. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was kind of like, oh, God, this little... Maybe a little terrifying. ...rock and roller, like, you know, what you doing playing with a pick. Um, but now I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I was just kind of, yeah, thrown into the fire, started playing with my fingers. And for the rest of high school, I was... They didn't let me play with a pick, so that was... <laughs> well, and, and, you're primi- and, and now you, you primarily don't use a pick. You have, like, X amount of songs and X amount of different techniques that you do need a pick for. But. Right. I play with my fingers but but it's a but it's something that I am grateful that I did start with because I have that skill and a lot what a lot of people don't understand is like it's just another tool in the toolkit it's right. just another way of getting a different tone or a different sound or a different technique it's just all part of the part of the same thing and um, I've actually gone to um, I've taught workshops on on pick before I was teaching at mm-hmm. a at a rock and roll summer camp for kids ages mm-hmm. 12 to 17. And of course, the first day when everybody gets there, um, bass players are all slapping, trying to like yeah. <laughs> show off their flea chops or whatever. Uh, you know, everyone's just kind of like, all the guitar players are like just totally wanking and doing whatever. It's like everyone's just trying to show off their thing, you know? Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, um, the hardest we would do, we would split the week off into different days, like different styles, different mm-hmm. days. And the day that was like the rock days were easier for the kids. Um, the hardest day was was like the reggae day, when it was like when the music was scaled back and was simplified, and it was mm. more about the groove and oh. not the chops. Mm-hmm. When it was like you're just playing two notes, you know, <laughs> boom, boom, that's like a like um, or even like stirred up or something. And you're just playing that over and over again, locking in with the drummer. The drummer's playing like a super simple thing. Guitar player is something super, super simple. And that was the hardest thing for them to do. Wow. Was just to... Slow down. Slow down. Put the space in. And just groove. And find that pocket. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was very telling. That was very telling. Um, it's like that's something that when kids are learning, they've, that's a big part of what music is, is finding that feeling. Um, and it's not always about all the notes. So I decided to do a workshop on the pick because it's something they think that I'm grateful that I know. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought it'd be good for the kids to know that it's just another skill to have. So I did brought in a bunch of picks and um, gave them all a couple and just showed them some different, played them some examples of players that played with the pick and had them listen to how it sounds different and then had them just kind of mess with the 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 technique and just mm-hmm. how like all the different styles and different sounds you could get and um like the biggest compliment for me was the rest of the week the kids all carried a pick in their pocket oh yeah i didn't even say that i didn't even tell them like right. <laughs> you know i didn't tell them to do that but just i would just notice them kind of pull it out and that was the natural course yeah, yeah. and that just made me feel really really happy it made me feel really like hmm. like okay they, they absorbed it a little bit cool. it's interesting because i think from my experience, like a lot of bass players that start out and get like kind of more formal training right off the bat, like from uh, an instructor that says, okay, this is how it goes. A lot of those bass players, I know like three or four of them around me, they don't, they pick up a pick and they just, it's so foreign to them at this point in their, in, in their playing and their history that, you know, learning as a child at an early formative years of your playing, that that's just another tool is such a, a, a huge thing, I think, it sounds like, you know, because, especially for you, you started there, 
yeah. and then move towards the thing. So it was already ingrained in you. Yeah. You didn't have to, you know, this is somebody told you, this is the way it has to be. And then you kind of felt weird every time you picked up a pick at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't have to go through that. Yeah. No. And, and, and sadly, I think the, the pick gets a lot of shit. You know, it does. It's, for on base, it's yeah. like it's like the faux pas. Yeah. 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 Everybody's like, no, you put with your fingers. Like it's it not is. cool or whatever. But um, but I think it's cool when a musical director says, hey, can you play it like this? And I can say yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like depending on what you're going for, um, being versatile, like being open to trying different things, like d- doing what needs to be done to, to make the music sound the way it needs to sound. Um, you know, if I'm playing with an artist and they get like a, like a distorted pick sound on, on the song, or whatever, like I, I need to mimic that. I need to be able to, to get that sound for them. Right. Um, you know, and if I'm, if I'm playing in my own band, I'm always messing with like, like, um, like muted palm, palm muting, like pick mm-hmm. style stuff or whatever. It's like, it's just fun to play with different sounds and different styles. Did you ever do uh, like the foam underneath the bridge oh, type sure. of thing? Like yeah. the, is that like a Jamerson stuff? Mm-hmm. Is that what they? Yeah, that and from? from what I understand, Fender uh, Fender Precisions there was a time when they actually came with the foam in the bridge. Oh really? And I, f- yeah, from what I understand, because I went to um, a guitar shop one time and looked through their vintage gear, and there was a couple of Precisions that still had the foam in there, like this black foam. Cool. And I picked it up, and you just anything you play, you feel like Jamerson. Wow, it's the coolest feeling. That's fun. But again, that's another another sound, another yeah, technique. Another technique, yeah. Yeah. Tool in the toolbox. So when you play, when you did that, where was the the um, the the guitar pick class that you did? What was that? It was a um, it's a summer camp called Soundwall. Okay. Up north, um, and Is it uh, part of the same program that I saw you producing. The music? D- different program. Oh, different program. But yeah. is it up Is it up in the North This Bay? is up... We were teaching uh, up in the campus of UC Santa Cruz. Oh, okay. So it was a summer program. So when this, the college was, was out for summer, we would move in. And um, it was like a sleepaway summer camp. We would oh, stay in cool. the dorms. And um, so it was like your music teacher and your camp counselor all in one. Um, but it was but it was really fun. Yeah, ages 12 to 17. It's yeah. still, still one of my favorite memories of just in the last year or two of was getting to visit you while you were producing um, music for these tr- troubled youth yeah. uh, up kind of in my area, in, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, and uh, watching you at the soundboard and, and, and running uh, the, the talk back and, and, and asking these kids to, to try it a different way and, uh, you know, with different feeling or different timing. And, and, and I think that's like a, a little teary-eyed moment for me because you're like such a friend to me uh, on top of like being in awe of you uh, as a performer on stage. But like that was such a, a, a great thing. So to, to be reminded that you regularly commit your time mm-hmm. to children, you know, to youth that are looking for that, it's just so cool thank you yeah I'm, I'm so fortunate that I'm that I'm able to do that and and uh, you know offer offer something yeah offer something to them you see value in it yeah and that makes yeah. that's I don't know it's a big deal well it's it's so rewarding for me too it's like it makes me feel um, it makes me feel good mm-hmm. and to, to know that they're feeling good or they're gaining just a little bit more confidence or or um, pushing them in a way that they you know a lot of these girls this is a I work with a a company of uh, Future Youth Records. That's the one that I w- was working with when you came to the studio. Okay. And they work work with um, at risk youth, and a lot of these girls come in and never thought in a million years they could write a song or write a lyric or be in a professional recording studio and and um, be putting their words to music. Mm-hmm. And to to see that process and to see them come in and and 
come in and freaked out and scared and not thinking that they could do this and then walking out and they have a song that they wrote. I mean, yeah. that's pretty massive. So to be able to facilitate that and, and help get that, get those moments out of them is, is pretty special. And, um, so, so coming back to the, the, the pick thing, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you used mostly ended up kind of going to the, the nylon, uh, picks that your dad was using, but then I think that they were too, a little too flimsy for you. Yeah, so the ones that I ended up um, liking for myself were the one millimeters. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like, I do like the gray ones still sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Daryl Dad reminds me of him anyway. But um, what I ended up really liking for myself was the, yeah, the nylon one millimeters, the black ones. Mm. That's just what really kind of felt good as far as like the give. You know, they had like a little more give. And um, I used a lot of different picks over the years. I mean, I, the Fender Heavies. You know, but those mm-hmm. don't have a lot of get, uh, enough give for me. I really like how the nylon feels. Okay. So um, I've just really settled into those. And then guitar. When I play guitar, also I'm grateful that I have some pick experience because when I started playing guitar, um, I already have that that feel. The dexterity. The de- yeah, yeah. As far as that goes, and of course that's a different pick yeah. as well. Well, we did the we did glow in the dark for you mm-hmm. a while back. So you've got glow in the dark one millimeter. Yes, I can actually see them when they when I drop them <laughs> on, so on stage. Yeah, and you ha- so and awesome are, how are the that. how are the custom prints going with you? Get to hand those out to fans. Yeah, they they're awesome. Cool. They're so cool. Um, at one part during the show, during the pink show, I didn't even I didn't know that the security guys were doing this, but um, we go out on the B stage and um, and I guess the it's when the security goes out there and whatever kids are out there, they hand out picks and sticks. Like the drummer throws out sticks or has, has some sticks for them. And so, um, the security guys are handing these out to the kids and I would get these messages on Instagram and they was like, Oh my God, my little, my little five-year-old son is, he slept with his pick last night in your hand. And I would just get these photos and they would just be so excited. And I was like, what? Like, how was that happening? And I didn't know that they were handing him out, but it was, they were, and it was. It meant so much to them just to have a little piece of, of the show and a little piece totally. of the players that are up there. And um, my God, it like, like killed me when I saw that little boy like sleeping with the pick in his hand, and he, his mom wouldn't let him take it away. That's amazing. So you know, those little things go a long way. I can only people. imagine, especially being that young and impressionable, with as amazing as the Pink Show is. Yeah. Holy crap! Like. I, I still remember, I'm still in awe of the first time I saw the show, which was the Funhouse show in yeah. Seattle many yeah. years ago. 2008. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, that's 10, that was that was 10, 10 exactly years. 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, kind of, like, being, like, stoked uh, to see the show because it was something different from what I'd normally go see, and, uh, and our, our connection was just blossoming, and, and then the show started, and I was like, oh my... God, is it okay that I like this? <laughs> you know, like, it's really good, like really good, and 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 the whole band, as you know, I mean, I I'm just, you live with these people on tour, and they're such sweet people. Every time you introduce me to somebody in the band, and the singers are amazing. I love them. I can't remember their names, but I, Stacy and Jenny. Stacy and Jenny. Yeah. yeah, they're such sweethearts. Yeah. yeah, it's the family. I mean, I've been there going on, gosh, going on twelve years, and I'm one of the newest kids in the band. <laughs> Wow. One of the newest members. Yeah, that's so, good. So, I mean, you know, she's starts from the top. Yeah. Starts from the top. You know, she's... She's got heart. She's incredible. She's got big... I can... It just... She wears it right on the front, you know? And, and the vocal range, I remember that night, too, because I think... 
was it Bohemian Rhapsody that was a part of that yeah. tour? And then there was, uh, was there Led Zeppelin? We did Led Zeppelin. Yeah. We did Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. Yeah. And what was the, what was the other cover? Was I think ACDC. Oh yeah, yeah. So ACDC. I remember. I, I think I, I I at the time I my uh, my girl at that time. I remember texting her going, "Oh my God, you made a big mistake not coming," because <laughs> she's a singer. And I was just like, "There, you're not gonna believe that Bohemian Rhapsody sounds as good as it does right now." You know. Yeah. Um, so occasionally I'll try to find that because I think it's online. Like, yeah, it's, it's there. They, they they made a DVD of that of that concert, so cool. it's out there. And that I mean, pff, playing Bohemian Rhapsody every night, like that was just stellar. That's the it was whole. So intense, too, it was yeah. amazing. We were actually talking about that recently. We're like, what else can we do that's going to top that? What cover can we do that can just recreate that experience? Because it was it was just so awesome. Few few covers could be so interesting and so diverse, and when it's pulled off so well, that's. I don't know. I mean, that's still one of the best songs of all time. Yeah, so. she nails it. Yeah, she totally nails it. Mm. So, it's so cool. Well, I think the next part of, as you know, of of this is really to to ask, like, um, you know, because especially because you're a seasoned veteran at this point, you know, like of the stage, of the music industry, um, being being raised in a musical household, um, you know, like. I'm curious if you can, if you have a, a life perspective to, to share with, with us and the listeners, you know, is, is there something that you could impart, you know, like what keeps you inspired and motivated? Is there, you know, I really think that for me, it's, it's the urge to keep learning and to keep growing and to keep, keep expanding, um, mm-hmm. what I do. Cause I, I feel like sometimes it's, it's easy to get to a point where you get to a level where you're, you're happy and you're doing great and you've, you've reached all these goals and, you know, maybe you've reached goals that are more than you could have ever dreamed. And that's how I, that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. And you get to a place where you get comfortable and I want to know that I, I don't want to stop there. I'm going to keep, keep going. And I think that, um, that's one of the things that comes with, like, for instance, using a pick, like I'm playing with a pick now, more than I was 10 years ago. Mm. That skill has come in so handy and has come in back around more than I ever thought it would. Mm. And I'm open to reopening that door and trying different things and trying different pedals and trying different techniques, different basses, different instruments. Mm. Um, I'm playing upright a lot now and and I have been, um, the last 10 years I've been using upright in, in big arena shows. And um, being willing to just say yes and try new things. I think that um, having an open-minded perspective is so important for what we do. Mm-hmm. And in life in general, I think. We're, we're so easily put in boxes and kept in boxes. And to be able to open that up and, and expand, I think, is important for us. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, yoga teachers, Baron Baptiste, he is quoted as one of his favorite like slogans is be a yes. Mm-hmm. Be a yes to your practice, like whatever that is. It doesn't have to be yoga, right? But like be a yes to your um, to your to, to your project, to your commitment to what it is. And like and, and it's kind of I relate it to that in a way for myself, since I spend so much time on the mat, more time on the mat than holding a guitar these days. Mm-hmm. But um I like I like that like being you know being saying yes and being open to 
you know, what the next piece of growth is going to be. Mm-hmm. Was there, because I know you've, you've had like this kind of upper hand advantage. Like I know early on, like uh, you, you've told me a few stories throughout the years of like, like interesting names that have given you bass lessons mm-hmm. along the way. Um, but was, was, was your father, did he kind of give you the wisdom in the beginning or was it kind of like, kind of like here's some stuff and then. In the beginning, dad was not into me playing bass at all. Oh. When I, (laughs) Hey dad. (laughs) When I told him that I wanted to to play bass, he was just like, yeah, kid, whatever. And I would ask to, to borrow one of his basses to practice. And his response would basically be like, don't touch my shit kid. Yeah. And he wasn't into the idea. I'm not really sure why. I'm sure there's, there were a few reasons um, looking back now, but it wasn't until his best friend came over and gave me a bass lesson, Andy Johns, mm. producer engineer. Um, it wasn't until he came over and gave me a lesson that I actually started started up, and I took to it like a fish to water. And Dad was like, oh, "Okay, I guess, I guess this is happening." Okay. And then he was, then he took me under his. Then he was proud of you. Then he, then he, uh, yeah, taught me how to change strings and took me under his wing. But it, he wasn't into the idea at first. Mm. Interestingly. So there was Andy Johns, and then uh, was was John Entwistle one of the, mm-hmm. the the uncles that came by, or like? Yeah, he um, he did live down the street from us for a while um, in Hollywood. But um, on one family trip overseas to England, we stayed with him at his at his place in um, Morton on the Marsh, and hmm. he basically he knew that I was starting to play bass at the time and he's like you know I'm, I'm learning I hear you're learning how to play bass so he basically opened up this huge closet full of just basses like as far as the eye could see and he's like wow. pick anyone you want it's yours for the week and I was like <laughs> jaw dropped and I picked Fender Precision because that's what I knew and that's mm-hmm. what dad used and that's what a lot of my um, my heroes used so um, yeah I just picked one of his basses and he invited me into the studio and kind of took me around around the shoulder and showed me around and said, um, "Check out my bass." And he he was he had like his buzzard bass at the time yeah. and like put it around my shoulders. He's like, "Look, even the eyes light up." <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa, cool!" That's so cool. And that I look back now and having him do that for me or treat me in that way or at least make me feel included and invited um, was so encouraging because I was just a little shit kid. He didn't have to do that sure. to his friends. His friends daughter yeah um he didn't have to do that at all and um but he did and he took time to make me feel included and that was that was huge Mm. and um it's moments like those that that matter so much and you know i have him to thank for as well as all these people for where i am today just even even if he he didn't directly sit me down and say here's the abcs of bass like having him include me as a as a bassist Mm -hmm. as part of the party was like it meant so much almost a greater feeling for the scenario right because it's like it's one thing for somebody to come and give you direction and go oh you're doing it wrong or maybe do it this way but just to open it open up the the closet of basses and bring you into the room and say oh you're a bass player yeah and to, to reinforce that you're a part of this team mm-hmm. you're part of this family exactly you know like we i, I see that that, that you're included mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, and he encouraged me yeah i mean even to the point of like i'm on holiday and I had a base, one of his bases for, for a few days to just knock around on. I didn't have, you know, dad didn't bring anything with him. Right. On vacation. Sure. Um, so that was just really special. He didn't have to do any of it, but he did. And it, it meant the world to me. Was, uh, was, was John also one of the first 
memories of the B-15, or was that your dad? I, I remember you, you told me some story about the early, like, plugging into a B-15. Oh, yeah, that was my dad's. It was, was in dad's? our living room. Oh, it was his. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was one of my earliest memories because it would light up blue. Right. And I just remember being a little, I don't know, maybe two or three or something like that. And just dad, in our living room, he dad had, like, a couple amps and his upright bass and some a guitar and a couple basses and um i just always remember the blue light whenever you turn it on that a you know so that's just like seared into my brain yeah all these years later it's still there yeah Yeah. i still use ampeg yeah it's cool Mm -hmm. and that was how we how we came to know each other yep through that Mm -hmm. and and i guess the the other kind of question around the the perspective on life too or you know another thought is that because you've had kind of an upper hand in some ways, like coming from a creative family and coming from a, a just like, yeah, even though it wasn't initially the very beginning, the dad was like, eh, but um, I mean, has it all always been like cherries and roses or has there been some downturns? Has there been some kind of moments where you questioned this? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. music industry is not the easiest in the world. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I'm, I could guess maybe one of the reasons that dad didn't feel so keen on me doing it is because he didn't want that for me. He didn't want mm. to go through the struggles and, and trials and tribulations that he did. I mean, that was a big part of it. And um, my guess is maybe that's, that's why he wasn't that into it. But, um, you know, it's never always cherries and roses. I don't think anything is ever yeah. always, you know, um, like that. But, um, but with with those bottoms you really appreciate like the good times right right and um there's no there's no light without dark so it's it's part of the whole it's part of that whole cycle totally. i think and there have definitely been times where i'm like what am i doing with myself what am i doing with my life you know i would just like audition after audition and and nothing would happen and it can be very discouraging um any of the entertainment you know industry can be right. but there are moments when you meet people like um like the pink gang or getting the pink cake or something like that and, and meeting people that you're like, oh, okay, there are good good parts of this. There are good people in, in the industry. There are beautiful moments and um, and that makes it all worth it. Hmm. Did you, so I, I think was, was the, um, was the Mars Volta gig kind of like one of the first gigs that, that or was there, that was, I'd been in like a ton of bands and played around town, but that was the first band that I'd actually toured with. Right. Because I was finally out of college, I was finally out of school, I finished college, and I started playing with those guys while I was finishing up my last year of school. And uh, I finished school, and then next thing I knew, the, I, by fall, I was on the road. And did you get to do very many tours? I know that your dad passed away somewhere in that area, right? Dad died three days into my first tour. Oh my God! Yeah, I was in Georgia, and it was um, it was really a gnarly time because it was like the whole reason that I was doing this, the whole reason like he gave me the gift of music, and um, and finally I get my first tour, which is all I ever wanted to do was tour like he did, sure. and and there's this flip side to that, and and he's um, on his way out. Mm. So yeah, that was a challenge. So did, did that stop you completely from uh, progressing with that band? Or? No, I kept going. You kept going. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. I did a few more tours. Okay. After that, so you were able to to to, to tour a few few times for Tremulant. Mm-hmm. And then you helped write, I think, write for 
part of the deloused? Yeah. Or was that just uh, was that was kind of in the making while you were? No, we were wrote. There were a lot of demos that we'd done, and we we did a lot of writing. And three of the songs that we um, had came up on we were on the Tremulant EP, and uh, some of the other demos that we had is what ended up coming out on deloused. I see. Um, but yeah, I did North America, I did Europe, and I did Japan. Wow. With them, and then Coachella. How is it working with Omar? My God, he's like my brother. So much fun working with him. He's so talented. Yeah. It was a really incredible time because um, I had been in school up until that point, and you learn a bunch of rules in school. Mm-hmm. And then when I started playing with those guys, all those rules just went out the window. And I was like, hey, what about just what we're feeling and what we're downloading from the ether? Mm-hmm. And that experience playing with them was just like the most creatively liberating time that I've ever experienced. Mm. Yeah, it was amazing. I love working with him. Some of my favorite music is those early, the Tremulant and Deloused. I like a, a lot of stuff through that whole catalog, mm-hmm. but Deloused, like when that came out, I just I can't even say enough. Like it was it was interesting because I picked up the CD the night before my band left on tour, and we we're going to tour from down from Seattle, uh, and. I started. I was immediately into it the, the first night, and I was like, "Oh man, I can't wait to show the guys." And the guys didn't really like it at first. They're like, "What is this? Like, I don't just stick with it. Mm-hmm. Like, stick because it's like somewhere in between Led Zeppelin meets Pink Floyd, which but not either one of them, right? You know, and and after I made them shut their mouth and listen to it, it became the album for the tour. Yes, like everybody was just like, "Oh man, I can't wait! Oh, there's that part." You know, it's like it, there was, it was almost unlike anything we'd really heard. I actually had a moment with Flea a few years ago, which was which was really cool. He, I went up to him and said hi, and he he was like, you know, I didn't change any of your parts. Oh. And he's and I like to me that was like the most incredible compliment you could ever get. Huge. Right? Yeah. Huge. So Come I mean, on. he he pretty much played everything how I. He's, uh, they were written. Maybe he's one of the most recognized bass players on the planet. Yeah, him, was, Marcus Miller, and it's huge. Yeah, wow. So yeah, thanks to him. Aww. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's so super cool. That makes me feel good. Yeah, yeah, because you know those were that was like. And that's early work. That's not like. Fifteen years later, like you've been a season. I mean, you came out of school and you've been working hard, but that was early work of yours. Yeah, that was my know? first like. Nose to the grind, working, working as part of a band. Like this is my blood, sweat, and tears, and my everything. You know, everything went into that. Being is, with those guys, it was like you know, you become a family. Like you, you know, live, eat, and breathe, sleep together. Well, you know, not sleep together, but <laughs> sleep next <laughs> to each share, other. Maybe share, you know, like sure. a, a bench in the van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that that makes things messy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So not not advised, friends out there. Not at all. Don't yeah. do it. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, no matter how tempting, just don't do it. Uh, and I guess, I guess um, another little add add on, you know, for perspective. Part of it is uh, is do you have like any kind of like personal rules, like uh, or any? Is, was there anything that your dad or anybody passed along to you that kind of became kind of a a, a kind of an underpinning law like of your life or well, I remember one, one thing that dad would say to me he would say that less is more hmm. and it really comes into play more often than not interestingly in a lot of ways I think I, I mean sure. he meant it musically um, and as far as bass playing goes but I think that can 
come across in a lot of situations. Totally. And it, they're such simple words, but they mean so much. Again, less is more, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it is an interesting thing. I was just at Generation X uh, with Steve Vai and Yngwie Malmsteen and Tosin Abbasi and all these guys. And I, it's the second year they're doing it, but the, the running joke there is because Yngwie is so on 12 all yeah. the time and hilarious, like, because he's seemingly very serious about so many things that seem trivial at times. But he, his thing is like, how can less be more? More is more, right? right? You know, because he's like an extravagant, wants to go over the top and go this. But I think that that there's, you know, for that personality, I can understand. I can understand they're they're taking a literal stance. But you and I, we do yoga, we meditate, we think about things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I personally translate that as when you when less is more when there's more space, mm-hmm. right? So there's less thing and more potentiality, maybe, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and, 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 and when that space is allowed, then there's it's more room for activities, right. so to speak. Like, things know? don't need to be so long-winded all the time. Or, like, right. you know, I, I think of the example of writing a text or, or something. Like, for instance, like, how many long-winded texts does someone get when all you needed to say was, like, thank you, I'll see you at five. Or something like that, right. you know, and then it's just like, um, not that there's anything wrong with long-winded text, but like, you know, sometimes I, you'll get a text from someone and like, you don't need, you know, like I, you understand people like try to like step over themselves and are trying to explain why they're late or explain why they're, they had to take their dog to the vet and then their mom fell asleep and then this happened and then that happened and, and, um, it just can create for, for more of a, um, uh, you know, crazy energy than, I don't know. Right. It needs to be like, like justification when it's not necessary. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's just an example. Yeah. It's just a yeah. little example, just a small example, but it's something that I try to remember when, like, you know, when I'm trying to like explain away something, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, that doesn't really. This other person doesn't need to know that, um, you know, I ran out of laundry soap and and then I, <laughs> over my alarm didn't go off, yeah, and so then I like, slept in and, yeah. <laughs> whatever. I don't know. The cat pooped on the carpet. I had to clean it. It's why I'm late. You know. Yeah. Was, yeah I, I mean, it. it's just. I mean, it's a silly example, but. But yeah, it, it translates obviously to, be, I even. I mean, all aspects of music. I think, but being a bass player and getting that information from your father, who was a legendary bass player, mm-hmm. that had been traveling the world in a different era, a different time, um, and and being able to pull from his experience and just and and. In a way, that being the simple thing, what was also it, in itself, it was kind of meta mm-hmm. to say less is more, and that be like the be understated to leave it that yeah, you know, and let you interpret it yeah, right? take take what you will from from that yeah. from that phrase. But it's a phrase that's come in handy for me, um, and many times, it, obviously musically for sure, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, especially playing bass. I mean, there's times when it's easy to get really excited and mm-hmm. you want to play like a bunch of cool stuff. And then sometimes it just, it doesn't work. They're like, that's great. Eva, uh, how about you take uh, about 13 notes out <laughs> and does the, 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 the first one, the third one, and that, that's it. We're good. You're yeah. Like, and, and obviously, you know, you're like, Oh, got it. I know that. Got it. I know that drill. Yep. Okay. And then, and then oftentimes when you sink into that, you're like, Oh man, this really makes a song. Mm-hmm. That's what we find oftentimes, especially in the pop world and the in the music where you have m- 
a lot of layered instruments and you're trying to you, you ha- they have to have their own space right everyone's got to have their own space yeah everyone needs their own little little area to work in um, but I mean it's interesting though when you do listen to a bass player like James Jamerson or something mm-hmm. for instance is like he's he's very active there's a lot going on there so then you think like what is that like how does that work because that's totally the other side of the spectrum but he's kind of the boss like a bass player like that is kind of the boss like when some of those bass players are just bosses and like you can't they're they're forces of nature and they somehow find uh the way to like keep those those primary notes in the places they need to be while embellishing in all the right... Pla- I don't know. I don't yeah. understand it either. And not, like, but... stepping all over everybody. Why, well, the song still feels... Yeah. Okay. It doesn't feel like, oh, dude's wanking. Yeah. You're like, no, I mean, I would almost let him play a little more. It's an you incredible know? gift, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's interesting. It's the other side of that spectrum. Yeah. You so. know, I mean... For the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think the rest of us probably, it, like, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. And not to call any of us stupid, but, uh, yeah, keep it simple um, is kind of similar There's to... There's a time and a place, I guess. More, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the last little part I like to, to impart or to ask of my guests is, you know, um, do you have any do you have any music you're listening to right now? Or do you have any, um, any, any artists that you can think of that you might be... Uh, need to be shouted out like might be not w- that well known yeah well yeah it's really weird I'm like I'm listening to a lot of um, I've been really into harpsichord wow. lately so I've been listening to a lot of Baroque <laughs> music that's cool that's different <laughs> I, w- like, I wasn't expecting that but I'm okay digging on a lot of Vivaldi right now and um, and um, love a good night with Chopin and how, I mean, what's the context you listen to? Is it like at home while you're being, or is it in headphones? Or, or I do a lot. I've been doing a lot. I do a lot, um, a lot of painting when I'm home. Oh, okay. So I like to to paint to that, or cool. um, yeah, if I'm doing doing stuff around the house. That's my my tranquil place. Okay. Um, yeah, I've just been really holding place for that for that kind of music lately. Cool. That sounds that sounds like a a great time yeah. to be painting, listening to classical music. Yeah. And, I love it. Uh, probably cozy at the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the dog. With the doggies. Yeah. Yeah. Doggies. Make a cup of tea. Yeah. After they get done with their acupuncture appointments. Exactly. And you too. And me too. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Rotate yeah. our acupuncture appointments. Little needle action. Mm-hmm. It's helpful. Yeah. I believe in it. Yeah. I believe in the holistic approach. Same. It's helpful. Same. It's helped me a lot too. Mm-hmm. Players Pick Podcast, number four, Eva Gardner. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. Players Pick Podcast, Picks and Perspective with Chris Johnson. Table. Pain.